This is the Forbes interview, season two. I'm your host, Stephen Bertoni. This show is for anyone with an entrepreneurial passion, looking for inspiration from established and up and coming business pioneers. But first, this podcast is brought to you by MailChimp. MailChimp's all-in-one marketing platform allows you to manage more of your marketing activities from one place so you can market smarter and grow faster. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today, we have Daniel Lubetsky, the founder and CEO of Kind. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. I'm very happy to be here. I'm going to go back a minute here, and I want to hear how Kind got started. You're a lawyer by training, correct? Yes, I'm a confused Mexican Jewish lawyer that was trying to get Arabs and Israelis to get together. And all of that somehow got us to kind. But right after law school, I started a company that mm. is called PeaceWorks. It's still alive today. It's a much smaller company than than kind, but it's where I made a lot of mistakes and learned a lot of stuff and mm. from which kind rose and then uh, eclipsed the size of PeaceWorks. I first of all didn't know what I was doing. I was saying I was trying to bring... Arabs and Israelis to work together mm-hmm. and using a set of sun-dried tomato spreads where the sun-dried tomatoes were bought from Turkish companies and the glass jars from Egyptian companies and the olives from Palestinians and manufactured by Israelis mm-hmm. and using business as a force for connecting human beings, for shattering stereotypes, for cementing relations. And along the way, after you know 10 years of mistakes, I kind of learned the food industry. Mm-hmm. If you had asked me when I was a young kid or even right after law school, whether I would be running a food company, I'd tell you, you're cuckoo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and back then I thought I was going to be a diplomat to bring peace to the Middle East and business. I loved business as a kid. I ran businesses as a, as a young person. But for me, what I wanted to do is connect human beings, build bridges between people. And business was just a tool to do it. But 10 years later, I had kind of figured out the food industry. Mm-hmm. And I was very frustrated with my own snacking options. When I was traveling from continent to continent, trying to do a peace venture, or when I was skipping lunch or dinner, working, because I had, you know, it was a very small operation. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I had to stock the warehouse and I had to deliver the product out of the trunk of my car. And I had to take the orders walking street by street, door by door. And I had to invoice and I had to collect. So I had all those jobs. And so very often I skipped lunch or dinner and mm-hmm. I felt like I wanted a snack that I could feel good about eating on the go or, or when I was on my own. And I didn't see any options that met my hopes of being something that was delicious and nutritious, mm-hmm. that was wholesome and convenient to travel with. And, you know, I can tell you the longer story, but that's how kind came about uh, as a solution for what I wanted to create for myself. Did you start experimenting with your with your own kind of ingredient stuff in your kitchen or did you in your food business did you kind of use your contacts like hey i see a huge opportunity in the market here like let's get together and build a product that is going to be like you said better a little better for you more convenient all that kind of stuff it was a long process for many many years had been on the lookout for things Mm -hmm. that could fit that description and i knew tree nuts had that potential because Mm -hmm. they're very nutritionally rich they're convenient they're healthful so along the way, I met a guy from Indonesia that was making this product and um, I started importing the product, which was not quite like a kind bar, okay. but it was a much earlier, like 1.0 version of it. And I was importing their products and then their company got acquired by a large multinational, which mm-hmm. proceeded to add sulfur dioxide to the product and sorbitol and a bunch of artificial ingredients. So 
all our sales evaporated mm-hmm. because we were only selling to natural stores. And we decided, we almost closed the company at that point because after, you know, 10, 12 years, it was there is what, about 10 years into this journey, mm-hmm. I was kind of exhausted. And, you know, after you push that boulder over and over and over and we built a $1 billion, I'm sorry, a $1 million business. Yeah. And we're barely surviving. And all of a sudden, from one day to the other, all of our hard work goes to nothing. And all of our investments, people stop ordering from us. And I literally almost went back to knock on friends' doors to mm-hmm. see if they would give me a job or go back to, there I said, be an attorney. Yeah, you should always be a lawyer. Um, it's very funny to think about it because I, I remember very, very well having conversations with my couple of team members. We were a group of five, seven people and saying, should we just throw in the towel? And I, I really remember having a conversation with Rami Leshem, who back then was my head of sales mm-hmm. and, uh, and saying, should we do this again? Should we try it on our own or should we just, uh, just call it, what's the expression? Call it, call it a day, call it a day throwing the towel yeah. and um, we decided to try it ourselves. And it's fascinating that out of that greatest darkness came incredible light for us. And then things took off once we did it right. And mm-hmm. we did it controlling our own destiny and committing that we were never going to deviate from our obsession with quality and with natural products. Things took off very fast. Yeah. It's funny. Like if you didn't, if you didn't have that setback, if you, what would you, you guys had your backs against the wall. What did that do in terms of motivation, creative thinking, kind of like it was do or die? Absolutely. It's very true. Like at that moment, first of all, if I had never been pushed out of the zone of comfort, I probably would have never come up with kind. Mm -hmm. And second, the thing that I really love about the American enterprise system and about entrepreneurs and startups is that they have no option but to survive and thrive or else (laughs) they're going to die. So you have to give it everything you've got. And you wake up into the morning and you go to sleep at night obsessing about survival. And then that positions you to, if you know how to think long-term and to think in a holistic way, which is, mm-hmm. I think, the energy and spirit of the small inter- business entrepreneur is there. What I think sometimes is lacking, because certainly it was lacking in my first foray, is that a sufficiently long-term vision and plan and a sufficient commitment to a holistic view of all of your stakeholders. Because mm-hmm. sometimes when you're do- launching PeaceWorks, I actually happen to have been a little bit more advanced than maybe other entrepreneurs in terms of thinking about the community and I wanted to bring peace to the Middle East, but I wasn't sufficiently committed to my consumer, which yeah. has to be your number one obsession and thinking very long-term about building your brand, about not cutting corners. Recognizing that every consumer interaction is going to matter everything because at that early stage, if you build fans, they're going to be the ones, you know, in our first years, we didn't have any advertising budget. Mm -hmm. It was the word of consumers that spread out and that told people, you have to try these bars. They're like very different from what's out there. They're really delicious and they're very nutritious. And it was the consumer's devotion to kind and to, you know, sometimes when I wear my kind gear and I walk in the airports, people like, like I was on vacation just now and Uh there, there was this woman that started crying Crying? I swear to you, she started crying. Say thank you so much. You like made it, and it feels really. It's a very touching feeling when people um, are so touched that she's uh, has a gluten sensitivity, uh-huh. or the other person just is trying to find something that's helpful to control their manage their weight. Or I hear all these incredible stories, and there's not enough 
obsession with um, high quality ingredients. What was the first kind bar you made? What was, and how did you make it? It was a fruit and nut bar. It's still our, uh, our original product, still in our uh, repertoire. Yeah. <laughs> and I made it in cooperation with friends from Indonesia and Australia okay. that um, we started buying the product from. And where do you make the bars now? 100% of what we make is in the United States today. Mm-hmm. Which, what, what regions? We're in four states across the United States in the East Coast, Midwest, and West Coast. A couple of years ago, I was lucky enough to do a, uh, a profile, Dean Metropolis, who is the yeah. turnaround king, but he does the food. Yeah. And he bought the Twinkie out of bankruptcy and restarted the Twinkie. And I got a tour of the Twinkie factory in Kansas. Yeah. And I'm a tech reporter, and the Twinkie factory was some of the coolest tech I've ever seen. It was kind of like a giant Rube Goldberg machine of the fact that they can make a million Twinkies a day, a million yeah. Out of this this one thing now uh, is help is Twinkie a healthy st- snack? No way! But <laughs> to see it go, and I was just watching like the lasers and the robotics and how it was getting packaged at thirty miles an hour. How are what's the kind bar operation like now? Because I imagine this too has this kind of a Willy Wonka uh, feel. Well, when we with started, less, with less chocolate, I imagine. First of all, Twinkies are very tasty, and some people think that like, oh, you don't eat sweets. Like, no, I I, I enjoy yes donuts and and sweets. Also, what I don't enjoy is when people are deceptive. But Twinkies is not. You know yes. what you're getting yes. with Twinkies. It's a treat. It's, you know, it's, it's a, a great yeah. treat. But with Kind, when we started, it was all done by hand. And in fact, when we started trying to go to manufacturers, they wouldn't take our business because it was very small. Yeah. And it was a damn headache because most of our competitors, uh, what they make is something called, in our industry, a slab bar. Slab because it's like a slab of products. Mm-hmm. It folds very easily into the line, and it's an emulsion on our page. You take a bunch of ingredients, macerate them into a homogeneous paste, and it flows very easily through the yeah, line. It's like a mold almost, right? It's, it's very, yeah. no, it's just like an extrusion. Oh. It's very, it's just a paste. Mm-hmm. With Kind, we're trying to avoid over-processing and to really honor the integrity of those almonds the way nature gave them to us. Mm-hmm. We believe that too much manipulation of the stuff, it's going to oxidize the product and make it rancid. Or, and so we really, really try to minimally process it. And there's also a lot of technology into making that happen. But mm-hmm. at the beginning, it was, you know, a lot of the process was done by hand. Okay. Today, we do make millions of kind bars every day. Uh, and we have been able to maintain that crafted product in a process that's much yeah. more efficient. But if you would have walked into our factories in the early days, factories maybe is an overstatement it was done you know we would create the mix then it was rolled by hand putting trays by hand putting ovens by Mm -hmm. hand cut by hand and most of the process was manual today it's a lot more um efficient Mm -hmm. they still come out in like big sheets and then you cut them or they they originally you would sheet the product Mm -hmm. i I have a lot of problem with my spanish accent using the word s-h-e-e-t okay well i don't want to sound the other way yes but uh (laughs) especially with my beautiful products um but um you'd lay them out they come out in with initially we would would put them in a uh, on a tray tray yes (laughs) (laughs) with a roller manually you would roll it down and it's hard it takes a lot of muscle yeah and then you would put the uh, put the trays in an in a rack oven and then afterwards you take it out today. And by the way, that's not the magical part. The magical part I can't talk to you about because there's a process of how we mix the product, which mm-hmm. is proprietary to us. It's very easy to make a fruit nut bar, yeah. but it's very hard to make it in a kind way where it actually holds the right amount of humidity and density and chewy and crunchy mm-hmm. ratios and stuff. 
So with, there's a process that I'm not describing here, but the process that's prevalent in our industry is the S H E E T I N G process. Yes. Um, and the triple call tr- the training. The tray. training process. <laughs> and then you take the product. Today, it goes in through these gigantic machines. And then the machine has this roller and it flattens the mix. And it goes through another roller, which flattens it further. And then there's these guillotines and the slitters mm-hmm. that cut it across and vertically and horizontally. And then there is a wrapping machine, you know, kind of yeah, what you've cool. seen on the... It's, it is very... Like we have... The things that are not magical are automated now. So the mm-hmm. magical process at the kitchen, we still craft by hand. But the stuff like putting it in the train and in the, um, into the wrappers and into the boxes, that's all in most of our mm-hmm. facilities is all automated. Well, the making of it is, it sounds the easy part when you compare it to the distribution. And how did you guys get everywhere? I mean, Kind Bars are everywhere. Even you go to, you go to the Forbes, the Forbes Bodega, as we lovingly call it, our little uh, cafeteria area. And there's, all, there's always Kind Bars. I think you go to an airport, everyone's gre- filling their backpacks with Kind Bars before a, you know, a six-hour flight kind of stuff. And I never learned about this until I started actually doing stories about retail, like the whole science and the cost of shelf space is just mind-blowing. It could be a whole major in college. Yeah. How did you guys get kind of ubiquitous and how do you, and the competition, you're talking about, you know, these multi, multi-billion dollar companies that are in, that have the whole pipeline and they're not giving up that space. How did you get the momentum going? What was what was the first kind of So it, it is it is absolutely the case that it is hard to do this and it is true that it requires enormous amount of grit and obsession and strategy to know where to go first, where mm-hmm. to go second. That's all true. But it is also the case that just like in finance, cash is king. In consumer product goods, product is king. And early on, I used to get this question, how did you get this distribution? And I used to explain, it's not, the distribution is not to take it away from myself and my entire team where we work really hard, but that follows the product. If you have a phenomenal product, the market is very efficient and mm-hmm. then it will eventually stick. It will take a while because the uh, inert present players to display them takes a lot. But eventually the shop owner knows which products are moving better and the yeah. consumer is demanding them. So the reason why I think Kind eventually got the distribution it got is because it's a very special, unique, differentiated product that fit a consumer need because no other product was fitting it. It mm-hmm. was a healthy snack bar that you could feel good about eating and that was both, you know, wholesome, but also very tasty. Mm-hmm. And and the economics caused the distribution, not not our hard work. Because I was working really hard with PeaceWorks, yeah. making these Mediterranean spreads, and they never exploded because it's a much more specialty product. And I think ultimately what drove our distribution was the quality of our product. Mm-hmm. That said... We also like worked super hard and were sometimes very creative in identifying what things could be rather than what they were. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes there were no kind bars in a particular getting into Old Navy, getting into Starbucks, getting into, you know, many, you know, at Whole Foods it made sense. Yes. But even at Whole Foods when we came in with our products, I remember some buyers at the beginning saying, well, this doesn't look like a nutritional bar. Let me show you what a nutritional bar looks like. And yeah. they would open it and look like this astronaut yes. food. And I said, well, that's the point. This is a natural product. But it, was, it took an effort to convince our, our friends and our partners and our, our community to give us a shot. Mm-hmm. But then once they did, the, the 
transparent wrapper, telegraph to the consumer the quality, and yeah. then the, it just started taking off. And you mentioned before, like the, you know, you're always competing with these big multinationals. But in the beginning, you said you have a new deal. What with Mars? What's the the new relationship with Mars? It's a strategic partnership where they've committed to help us grow globally, mm-hmm. and we are responsible for all of the United States and Canada, where we are the controlling shareholders. But we've given them the right and responsibility to help us grow globally. They mm-hmm. have an incredible uh, ecosystem and distribution path across the world. They reach, you know, scores of countries, north of eighty countries, with you know boots on the ground, yes. with a formidable team mm-hmm. with incredible expertise. And so we're partnering with them to go into China. We already were in the United Kingdom with our own team, but mm-hmm. now they're like quadrupling our game and helping us take it. Did they buy a stake of you or did they co-invest? What was that deal with that? Yeah, they invested a minority stake in kind, a significant mm-hmm. minority stake. I, our team remains a controlling shareholder, but they're a very, very important partner. Mm-hmm. And it's much more than just the money. Like um, what makes me very proud is that there's a lot of stuff that they're teaching us that we didn't know the first thing about. And mm-hmm. there's things that we're teaching them and we're very different in some ways. And they're also, we're very similar in others. Like the value system is very similar, surprisingly mm-hmm. so. And obviously the portfolio of products is very different and complementary because they didn't have a healthy snacking yeah. uh, business, but they recognized that they needed that. And we recognized that we could use a partner that could help us grow globally because <laughs> we wanted to do it in a slow and deliberate way. But in today's marketplace, you really can't do that because your competitors see what you did in the United States and then they're trying to do that in other countries. Mm-hmm. And we felt that we needed a partner to help us do that fast. When you were doing this, what was, I mean, you spent you know so much grinding out, like building this, this kind reputation with the brand and obsessing over quality of products. And I can share you, you controlling that whole aspect. You're partnering with Mars, which is synonymous with kind of Snickers bars and candy bars. What was your thinking going into that? That like, okay, these are different cultures coming together, different reputations coming together. Not that Mars is bad, but it's, it's like a salad company going with an ice cream company. Like, you know, it's like, what was the consideration? What kind of, how did you work that all out internally? And also, are they, are they making in, in Europe, in China, are they making the products? Or are you making it and they're just, they're shipping it? Yeah. Sorry, that's like 35, so that's like 35 questions yeah. in one statement. I but they're all very good questions. It was, it was not an easy process. I think that there's a lot of really, really respectable companies and leadership in a lot of these companies that I I really have developed friendships with a lot of them. What I particularly love about the Mars leadership and team and ethos is their integrity. They never advertise M&Ms as being helpful. They position are what they are. They're a treat, they're candy. And they're stuff that my kids eat sometimes as a treat. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was very important that the marketing be very honest because there are other large conglomerates that try to pass off sugar as fruit. And there's like a fruit snack set where parents, unbeknownst to them, are feeding their children candy, thinking they're fruit snacks. And that's, I wanted to avoid that. Even juice. People think, a lot of people think juice is healthy and some is, but some of it's just as bad as soda. The, The thing you need to try to achieve for yourself and for your kids is eating nutritionally dense food. So the fruit by itself is fantastic. And people that think, oh, I don't eat fruit because I want to avoid the sugar. That's not good for you. The fruit has all the vital Mm -hmm. vitamins and nutrients and fiber that your body needs. But when you extract from the product that's delivered by nature, from the whole food, when you extract from it just the sugary 
<laughs> peace, yeah. that's when you start getting into trouble. And you get into more trouble when people not just do that, but deceptively try to make you think that you're getting the whole thing. What in your mind is healthy? And I've read some stuff that some people say kind bars are just, you know, prettied up candy bars or they're they're not as bad, but they're not like health food. Like what is health food in your mind? And what do you say to people that think some of these things are, are disguised? Yeah, health food in my mind are products that where the predominant experience is delivering to you nutritionally dense food as opposed to just empty calories that are devoid of vitamins or fiber or mm -hmm. other essential nutrients. If you think about it, it's not surprising that most products in the supermarket, their first ingredient is a refined flour or a refined sugar yeah. because refined sugar costs 25 cents per pound. Uh, refined flour, I'm sorry, refined flour costs 25 cents per pound and refined sugar 37 cents per pound. And whole almonds cost anywhere about $2.85 to as much as $5.50 a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Cashews, $4, pistachios, $7, $8. So, of course, it makes economic sense, I guess if you call it that, that a lot of these companies have moved into creating products with a base of empty calories, mm -hmm. and then they fortify them with frankenfood type of vitamins and stuff to give them something. But that's not, I think, how your body's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. If you really want to nurture your body, you need to use whole ingredients, the nutritionally dense ingredients. So, kind products are not just made with nutritionally rich ingredients. Every single product that kind leads with a product that's recommended for daily consumption by the nutritional guidelines. Mm -hmm. So for us, we design products so that we can eat them every single day. I eat two or three kind products a day. I give them to my children and I, I want to design products that can be part of a daily lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And we, you said, is it a meal replacement? Is it a in-between kind of thing? Is it? We now have over 75 products. Yeah. So we have products right, yeah. that are, you know, maybe only a hundred calories each. We have products that have over 200 calories and it it depends on, you know, you can use them as a snack in between mm -hmm. meals. You can use them as a meal. I tend to eat kind products as my lunch. I only have like two kind bars of a couple different what, what sorts. What do you have? What are your, what are your, what are your flavors? I vary it completely. Like sometimes I have a whole fruit bar, mm -hmm. like a strawberry dark chocolate one and a peanut butter uh, protein bar. Sometimes I just go for a pomegranate, blueberry, pistachio, kind whole mm -hmm. nut bar. The new nut butter filled bars are delicious. Yeah. They're a little bit more indulgent than the whole nut bars, yeah. but they're they're also still very nutritionally dense. Um, I keep it varied. It's like asking me to choose among my children. No, they're all they're all <laughs> very different. You're using you know tons and tons of of nuts and fruit and building on this stuff. Do you grow your own? And there's obviously such a, especially you mentioned almonds before. I love almonds, but there's a whole thing about water and waste. Like in terms of the company being, you know, nutritious at the same time, how much is on sustainability and and where you get your products from and being good to the whole earth, not just good to the body? Yeah, that's by the way, sustainability is an area where we're learning a lot from Mars. They've actually made a very big pledge and we're learning a lot about how to even take ourselves to the next level. I would say that in terms of sustainability, we are, above average, but we're not at the leading edge and we really want to be at the leading edge. So being a small company, we never were able to influence policy mm -hmm. as much as a larger one. But now that we're growing, we want to play a little bit more of that role. All of our packaging in terms of um, cardboard is recycled and made mm -hmm. in partnership with the forest initiative where we plant trees for every package we grow. 
the wrappers are not biodegradable because it doesn't exist in, in, in the industry. So we're trying mightily to try to see if we can find such solutions. And um, the ingredients, you know, it is true that almonds take water, but the right comparison is a source of protein. And so, for example, when you compare almonds as a source of protein, plant-based foods in general as a source of protein to animal-based yeah. protein, almonds consume far, 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 far less water and energy. So you need to get protein in your body. And I think almonds are far superior, both environmentally and in terms of uh, health mm -hmm. solution. Do you have suppliers? Do you have your own farms now? Or? We don't have our own farms. We have strategic partners that we develop very long-term relationships with. Mm -hmm. We thought at some point to do it and we, uh, we decided that we're not you know, one of the things I've learned is whatever you do, you should be the best at doing it and otherwise let other people do it. So we, we partner with people that are much better growers than us. But it is true that 85% of the world's almonds are grown in, um, in California, wow, yeah. in the Central Valley of California. And there are issues with drought and stuff. So the, the whole community is trying to find solutions. And almonds are very temperamental. So they require Mediterranean grow, um, climate to grow. So they've tried to grow them in Texas, in Virginia, in Arizona with very limited levels of success and Arizona a little bit more than others, but mm. it's hard. It's hard to grow almonds because of their temperamental Mediterranean climate. But do you know where they have a Mediterranean climate? In the Mediterranean. In the Mediterranean. <laughs> so we actually have a pilot project going back full circle to the mm -hmm. PeaceWorks years where we're actually uh, partnering in Jordan with using cutting edge Israeli technology mm -hmm. and a partnership with the Jordanian kingdom to try to make Jordan the almond capital of the Middle East, and their ambition would be uh, even greater. But we're doing a pilot program to mm -hmm. try to grow almonds in, in Jordan with a minimal use of water because of cutting edge uh, irrigation technology from Israel. Yeah, and it's full sort back to the you know, using yeah. commerce to kind of bring communities together. And the project is very cool because it employs women, it employs Syrian refugees, mm -hmm. it employs uh, people from all different backgrounds, Israelis, Jordanians, Egyptians, Syrians. You know, talking about globally, uh, you know, you got into the food business because of international relations. You wanted to help Middle East peace. Um, and that hasn't gone away, obviously. <laughs> and the fact that, you know, you are a, um, an immigrant from Mexico. And as we know, immigration right now, especially immigration with Mexico and border security is such a hot topic. Where does that put you as a really successful Mexican-American entrepreneur that has a mindset of global and kindness and stuff. Where do you, do you take a stand on this? Do you kind of, what do you think right now? How does this make you feel this current climate? Yeah. Again, you're just asking very simple um, uh, questions with very simple answers. Yes, no. yes, yes, yes and no questions. Yes. Um, I don't take for granted what America is, represents, and has a duty to be for the world. For me, not only am I an immigrant from Mexico, but my father was a Holocaust survivor. He was in a concentration camp in Dachau and he was liberated by American soldiers mm. who risked their lives to travel thousands of miles, happened to be Japanese American soldiers mm. whose families were being interned here in the United States when they were going and fighting. And it was the most highly decorated battalion in all of World War II, the 442nd Battalion, wow. which was made up of Japanese Americans who rescued my father. And so- Crazy. I never heard that story. It's wild. It's incredible. And, and um, I could spend- two hours talking yeah. to you about it. But I thought that the way I was gonna serve my dad's memory was by building bridges outside of the United States. And it was gonna be about getting 
Arabs and Israelis to work together and to make peace that way. And it's, I don't know if it's ironic or what the word should be, but it's fascinatingly sad to me that I feel the duty now to double down on everything that I've learned in my mm -hmm. life to apply it here in ground zero, which is the United States. Wow. The United States, the civility that we have towards another, the respect we have towards another, the kindness that the American spirit has and has demonstrated through its history, in my opinion, are essential ingredients for why we have been so successful, along with the rule of law and the freedom of speech mm -hmm. and the freedom of the press and all of those values that we should not take for granted. And so I'm very, very dedicated to try to defend the American enterprise system and the rule of law and all of the pieces that make it work. In my opinion, if we lose that civility and that civic discourse that has allowed us to respectfully disagree and recognize each other's humanity and best intentions, we will lose that competitive edge that we've had. Mm -hmm. The United States and our democracy has worked because those are essential tenets. Like there's other places that quote unquote have democracies, but then you see how their systems work and yeah. they break down because they don't have that fundamental set of values. And what brings us together in the United States is not an ethnic uh, or religious identity. It's those shared values. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's really, really important to try to um, invest in making sure that we not take those for granted. Well, I think that's a good, now that's a good place to stop. <laughs> um, well, I want to thank Daniel Lubetsky Founder, CEO of Kind. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Forbes interview. I'm Stephen Bertoni. Please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts and leave a rating and review. I'll see you next week.